All right, everybody, welcome to episode number one. I'm Colin Cadmus, a lifelong salesperson, two times VP of sales and current founder of my own strategic advisory and executive coaching firm. Before we dive in, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Prehired. Prehired helps you start your six-figure sales career, enroll in the Prehired program and get lifetime access to training, mentorship, resources, and community that will not only start your sales career, but continuously take it to the next level. Go to prehired.io forward slash Colin to apply and be bumped to the top of the list today. All right, now let's get into it. Today as the very first uh, uh, guest on the show, we have Ross Pomerantz, AKA, you know him better as Corporate Bro. Ross, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, great to be here. Yeah, I know, I've been, I've been eager to do this when I thought about starting a podcast. Uh, I was like, who can be a really interesting first guest? And for me, you're just an interesting dude that I, I know very little about. We've talked a bunch, uh, you know, like we've talked a lot. And I remember when we, we jumped on, I forget how we got in touch, but like, obviously I followed your videos on YouTube. And by the way, for anyone who's listening, uh, if you don't already follow Ross, uh, AKA corporate bro on YouTube, on Instagram, on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, you've been living under a rock if you're working in sales and you don't know what any of this is. So check it out. Um, Do it. I started, yeah, I started following you. I want to say, I don't know, probably five years ago or something like that. I remember someone, someone showed me one of your videos in, in the office one day at my, I think the first VP sales role I was in. Uh, and I couldn't believe that I hadn't seen that before. And then I went home and I think I watched like every single one of them. Um, and so I became a fan. And then a few years later, somehow we started talking. I think I probably reached out to you about something. Uh, and we got on a phone call and, and that's really what inspired me to want to interview you because on that call, I remember getting off the call and, and everyone knew I was going to talk to you. I, I was being like a little giddy about it. I was excited. Um, and I get off the call and everyone in, in the office is like, how was it? What's, what's, what's he like? What's corporate bro like? And I'm like, it, I was very surprised because you're not really the character in, in the show, right? I was expecting to kind of get on the <laughs> phone with, with like some douchebag. And I was totally pleasantly surprised that like you're super smart um, and, and you have like a lot of thought and strategy that goes into everything that you do. And so I think we chatted a little bit about it, but I'm really interested to dive into it and understand, you know, A, a little bit of, of the come up of your sales career, how you got into content and like really how you develop the character and, and how much of that character is Ross versus how much is, you know, made up of some, some other people that you maybe worked with or, or whatnot. But why don't we just, you know, to, to kick it off, do, you know, just tell us a little bit about where you're from, how you came up and like, what, what was the first thing that you ever sold? Yeah. Um, I guess originally I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So peace up, a town down, um, moved to the Bay area, 2001, whole fam, uh, moved out here for my mom's job. Um, you know, I think most people don't intend to get to get into sales, right? They're not like, I don't think a little kid, does. like, damn, I just cannot wait to go slang. Um, yeah. so I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, admittedly, I was a baseball player, played a couple years of minor league ball, at the lowest possible level, independent minor league baseball. I was a pitcher and, um, got done with that after about two seasons, two, I played two seasons was kind of like, well, I could toil around in the minor leagues, make no make, make a thousand dollars a month. Um, and I was like, you know, this isn't really honestly very intellectually stimulating. So I did what anybody who has no idea what they want to do. And I just started like finding companies that I was interested in. And lo and behold, people are like, Oh, you're an athlete and you have no hard skills. So sales. Perfect. Let's go into sales. I, um, 
applied to a bunch of tech com companies in the Bay Area, and uh, including Salesforce and Oracle. Salesforce was like, nah, sorry, you don't have any. It was what like happened there? Level. Did you get the interview at least with Salesforce? Oh yeah, I got all the way to the final round, which was a, a panel interview of mm. three managers in front of me. Um, and I had to pitch one of their clouds. And I thought I did pretty well. And they said I did well, but their thing was like, you're not coming out of a sales job. And I was like, how do I get into an entry level job without it, with having a job before? Like, it didn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, like, you know, I, it was all good. Great experience. Rejection. Got it in early, you know, set me up for sales. Ended up at Oracle. Started selling there. Was there for about a year. Uh, the guy who hired me uh, was going to leave. He was my manager. He was going to leave for a director role at another company. He was like, yo, you should come with me and I'll get you promoted and I'll get you a bunch more money. And, you know, me being, what was I, 23 or, yeah, 23, 24 maybe. Um, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, the grass is always greener, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Uh, it was a What was that time. company that you went to? It was called Sosta, S-O-A-S-T-A, Soasta, as I like to call it. Um, so you must, have liked this, you must have liked this manager to follow him? Yeah, great dude. Still uh, one of my you know, professional mentors. Um, Is he anything like Fister or no? No, nothing like Fister. Okay. So no, I've been so lucky, guy. man. My managers have always been really good. Uh, you know, but I obviously have been around plenty that aren't. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so there are, as you mentioned, kind of there are a lot of pieces of my sales career that are built into... Uh, the story or the narrative, like Raj was my sales engineer at Oracle. His, so people were like, you're so racist, dude. You Raj of all the names. I was like, <laughs> that literally was my SE's name. Like this is like, I'm paying homage to like my boy from back in the day. Um, so and that's, that's his yeah. real name, right? His real name. Yeah. Well, the guy who plays Raj now is my business school roommate. Um, whose name is Rohan, but you know, he, he loves. Oh, well, oh, oh, so he's not actually playing himself. Got it. <clears throat> The no, he's not playing the himself. The character is, is based on... The character is based on like my actual SE back in the day named Raj. Got it. Got it. Cool. So, so, so minor league ball, what, uh, where you were a pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. I was left-handed pitcher. Like? It's interesting. Actually, my, the VP of marketing that I just worked with was also did minor league ball for like two years. And he said, like he showed us, he's a super skinny guy, showed us pictures of when he was in and he was ripped up. He said that they had so much pressure on him to, to gain a, a lot of weight. Um, that was me too. Same thing. I was undersized. Yeah, I had to eat my normal like diet plus an additional Chipotle burrito every day, which sounds fun. But when you are not hungry, trying to eat a Chipotle burrito on top of everything else, I was trying to eat like seven thousand yeah. calories a day. What's um, with that? Why, it's a non-contact sport. Why do they want you to be like thick? What's the? Point? I mean, it's just more power behind the ball. You know, mm -hmm. as a pitcher, I was already undersized, so I was like, you know, buck seventy. I was in college. I was like a buck sixty, buck fifty-five, mm -hmm. um, and most pitchers are big. I was the smallest pitcher on the team by far. Uh, everybody's like, you look in the big leagues now, everybody's 6'4", throwing 98 miles an hour. I was, you know, I'm 5'11", and I was touching 89, you know. Uh, and how so old are you now? I'm 31. 31. So has it gotten easier to put on the weight? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm yeah. no problem sitting at 180 <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. 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 That's why I got a Peloton, man. You know, I'm just shredding <laughs> on that Peloton, trying to keep it off. Uh, uh, I popped over 200 for the first time during quarantine. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a scary moment. When you, and then you, like, then you take your sandals off. You're like, nope, still 200. And you take your boxers off. You, know, you strip everything down. Like, maybe I need a haircut. Like, yeah. But, oh, it's, but, uh, yeah. you're playing with like 0.1, 0.2. You're like, what can I get out here? Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm, ate a lot today, so, you know. I'm, I'm back down to 194, so I feel all right. But I should be like 170, so. 
that's kind of where I'm, I've just like fucking Corona. Yeah. You can't even go outside. I feel like just burning by existing. I'm only burning 300 calories a day. I know. So it's I like know. I might as well not eat. You know? It's awful, man. It's awful. All right. So you, so you get this first job at, at Oracle. You're there for how long? Uh, about a little over a year. <clears throat> and so that's, that was the, the, really the foundation of your sales career. Did you do any selling prior to that or no? Yeah. So I, um, I did. I, so right out of school, so I got hurt my senior year of college. I was talking to a bunch of teams that were like, we're going to draft you. We're going to take you. And then like, this was my junior year. And then I got hurt my senior year. I tore my lat, um, played through it was just like, I, I kind of knew it was the end. Like all the teams stopped talking to me. My velocity was going down. Um, and so I went to real estate shockingly and not like flipping homes or anything. I ended up working at a luxury apartment building that had just opened up in Oakland, California, right around Occupy, uh, Oakland. So that was a real treat to be down there. But I was really lucky in that there were only two sales guys there. The other guy got like canned right in my first week. So I got to sell this whole like luxury apartment building, which was great. Um, that was like, obviously nothing like tech sales, you know, it was all in-person tours and stuff like that. That's good um, experience though, right? Totally. It was, it was yeah. great. Uh, but the were hours you closing, were awful. Was it like full cycle? You were, you were closing deals what was yeah. it for rentals. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just slanging rentals. You know, we were, got to meet a bunch of like former warriors and A's. It was like a lot of athletes would come through. Um, it just was like super close to, you know, Oracle arena and, you know, Oakland Coliseum and so forth. So it was cool. It was fun, but my days off were Tuesday, Wednesday, and there's not a lot you can do on a Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, your friends aren't around. It was a pretty dark time. So that's where I actually started training in baseball. Again, I was missing it too much. Uh, so I started training in the parking deck below underground, like throwing into a net. And there were some open tryouts for a minor league team. And uh, I was the one guy they signed. And so then so, you, you got, you got back into that. Got into that for two years and then went, went to Oracle after that. Got it. All right. So you're at Oracle. I mean, everyone knows Oracle, right? Massive company. I assume this wasn't that long ago. It was a massive company at the time, right? 20, 2013, I believe. Yeah. I mean, a hundred thousand people yeah. like across the world. I mean, fucking super huge. Uh, it's, you know, it was, it's kind of the, the godfather of inside sales back in the day. It was like where the classic churn and burn grind, like yeah, people yeah. making a bunch of money. I of course got there after people were not making a bunch of money and it was just like too many reps, too many people, too much conflict of interest, even within the organization. Like you're selling against other reps at Oracle in your territory and only one person can like, you know, imagine your CEO, you don't want to deal with yeah. 15 different gnats from Oracle. They, they overscale, right? They overscale yeah. at a certain point. They just, they, they try, they just hire, 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 hire. What, like most what companies. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's what happens at that stage of growth. That's why I hate being in a company like anywhere near that stage of growth. Uh, to me, all the fun stuff is, is kind of over at that point. Um, what was the hiring like? Did you get brought in, in, in a, like a big group, like a hiring class? So I didn't because, so they have this program they called the class of, which was literally just like funneling students in yeah, from, yeah. you know, like Cal Poly and UCSB and stuff like that. But no, because, because I had a, like life experience, I don't know. I was a little bit older Mm -hmm. Um, everyone on my team was brought in individually as like, um, we had a little bit more autonomy and like, uh, we got to do more in terms of what it was like to be, uh, we were BDR or BDCs is what we were called. We were not these like ADR, this like weird kind of like, we actually had legit territories and like got to work with the legit Oracle field reps and so forth. Whereas all the kids fresh out of college, they expected 70% turnover for them. So you were, it was an SDR role, right? This was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just pure business development. Um, and so they have field reps that you're, so you're setting up meetings for people that are going to go out in person. 
Yeah. So it's both. So that's like the thing. It's like you have an inside rep and an outside rep. You have your like AE and field rep. And if it goes over a certain dollar value, it gets kicked to the field rep. And so you're kind of like trying to make them both happy, you know, and sometimes if the field rep's cool, they'll let the inside rep in on like a piece of the deal. And it's just like, there's so much internal politicking, which, you know, that's just fact of life in all things. Uh, do they, more do they so still do the field sales? Like, is that model still happening today? As far as I know? Yeah. I mean, I know they just axed a bunch of people, um, yeah, you know, yeah. bless up. Or yeah. But, I, I mean, even pre COVID like field sales, I mean, maybe are you, are you talking super enterprise? Is that why super enterprise? Yeah. Well, you know, we're covering like AT&T variety, like telecoms. Okay. Right? So like, that's why there's you're a dealing with the CEOs. Oh yeah. yeah. Like these people, I mean, these reps are like 60 years old. They're like the old school. They are the OGs. All right. You know, got like it, got smoking these guys, cigars. Yeah. These guys were selling like on-premise software in yes. their early career. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I got it. So how long did you do that role for before? Did you get promoted at Oracle or? Yeah. So I was basically like, I was about to move to the cloud team right when cloud was getting hot. Um, and I had basically accepted kind of the, the promo to go there. But then, like I said, my director left. He was like, yo, I'll get you more money. Smaller company, right, right. Like, come back and work for me again. Um, and grass, you know, wasn't, and grass wasn't greener. It wasn't, it wasn't. And I was doing like an hour and a half commute and I had to be in the office at seven in the morning. So I was like in the dark every morning, just like slowly veering off the road. I was like, am I tired or just depressed? And so, <laughs> or you both. know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was both. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've been there. <clears throat> I've oh, yeah. definitely been there. Um, so talk to me about your education. Like, you're a super smart guy. Were you always really smart? Did you get good grades in high school? What kind of kind of kid <laughs> were you? No, I was. So you know, like every affluent kid, I wanted to be a rapper one day. No, no, I, really? Well, I, you know, I mean, I spit some bars, but no, no, I wanted to. Like, I was convinced I was gonna be a baseball player. So I went to like a very elite private high school in Marin, you know, all the rich kids went there. And when you're around people who are so smart, you feel like you're not smart. Like you feel, you know, I was like towards the bottom, you know, 20% of that class in a class of a hundred people where 50% go Ivy league. And I didn't go Ivy league. You know, I went to Occidental college down in LA, really solid school. Obama went there. Great time played baseball. Um, and when I was on my baseball teams, people were like, oh, you're the, you're the smart guy. I was like, I, I've never viewed myself as the smart guy. Uh, I just haven't. I think it's probably, there's like an element of an underdog mentality that I feel kind of fuels me a little bit more. The undersized pitcher, you know, not like, as smart what, as Like what else. kind of GPA did you have in, in high school? I, in high school, I had like a three, two or something. Yeah, so you weren't a dumb kid by it. You weren't not a bad student. You were No, I wasn't student. a bad student. I was yeah. not like a bad student. I certainly wasn't like trying to be a bad student, but I was still the guy who was like, what's the easiest way to get this done without like, you know, work smarter, not hard. I was not working yeah, hard. I was yeah. trying to work smart um, around yeah, a bunch of people were, who were academic. You were a better student than me. I mean, I was like, I hated school, right? I, I, I did whatever I had to do just to get through it. But uh, I did not ever care about my grades, not even in college, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I didn't start I caring about school. Like, you know, I went to, I just graduated uh, business school and that was like a choice where, you know, I spent six years in sales and I, I honestly, and this is going to sound very arrogant. I was just sick of being around dumbasses. I was sick of being managed by people who I was like, you aren't intelligent and we continue to like promote people like I just feel like there's a lot wrong in sales and kind of how we promote people. It's like based on age and just age or like someone who's super successful as an IC, but has absolutely no fucking leadership skills at all. Like no empathy, 
very <laughs> selfish, narcissistic. Like that's who I want to hire as my IC, but certainly not who I want managing people. And like a lot of companies make that mistake. And so I was like, you know what? I'm, you know, admittedly, like I was not going to press club every year. I was not like number one on the leaderboard. I also didn't care enough to like, to be those people. You have to be so hyper-focused on. It, it has me, to be your life. It has to be your life. And I didn't yeah. want to go home and be my number. I didn't want like, you see so many reps like killing themselves because they yeah. attach their self-worth to their number. I was like, yeah. I want to do something higher level than this. Like I want to help other people get better. Like I would rather be a good coach than like the best player on the team. And so I eventually just got, it was, became a chip on my shoulder. I was like, management doesn't see it. Like, you know, I can help a lot more in terms of like helping people grow and like building this business. And it was just like, you know, dragging their feet. So I was like, you know, fuck you guys. I'm going to go start studying for the GMAT. I started studying at nights, eventually got a tutor. I worked on it for eight months, took it five times and got into so business. Walk school. me through that. Right. So, so you're in sales, you're frustrated. You feel like you're around a bunch of morons. Um, and I get it by the way. Um, it's not everyone's a moron. It just felt like there were a lot of times where there were decisions that were just like mind bogglingly yeah. stupid. Yeah. And then it's just like six months later, it manifests in the way that you said it would. It's like, is this not obvious to like people in these high it's, level it's positions? It's just a lack of experience, right? And it happens all across SaaS. I'm a little more surprised to hear that it was happening at Oracle. I would think that they have their shit together, but you know, in the smaller startups I've worked in, it's, it's the same story. Like you're putting people who a year ago, they were in college getting drunk and like now they're managing a team of 10 people uh, or, or they're becoming a director or vice president and making very big strategic decisions. Like it's actually, I'm glad you brought it up because it is, it's a, it's a major problem, right? Industry-wide because in order to be a great sales leader, like you need to be a good salesperson. You don't need to be great, but that's the starting point, right? That's the first requirement that people look for. And it tends to often be, I think, just the only requirement that they look for. That's and, what I think too. And, and that's what leads to a lot of these problems, right? And, it, and I'll tell you why I think it happens because it's actually really hard to find someone who has really good leadership chops, who also has uh, the respect of the team, who also really understands that particular product, that particular company, uh, they've closed deals, et cetera. It's not impossible, but it's also not very easy. Right. I, I do think that it could be done much better in most cases. Um, um, you know, and I think the reason like to, to, to talk about my, my, where I was a little bit different is I spent four years in retail management before I got into software sales and I was at a massive company uh, that put me through real leadership training. And so right. I think that's why I was able to grow into leadership quickly because I stood out in that way that like, I actually knew how to have real conversations with my team when things got difficult or, you know, I actually knew how to terminate someone without breaking 17 laws in a, in a three minute meeting, you know, right. uh, and, and also how to weigh pros and cons of big decisions and stuff. So anyway, to, to your point, I think there's, there's just not enough training for these people at all. Um, sales leaders get put into these roles. I don't know what it was like at Oracle, but in pretty much every startup, like they don't get training, right? Like they, just, there's no budget for it. There's no plan for it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's also just hard to evaluate soft skills. Like it wasn't yeah. just an Oracle. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with Oracle, you know, people, we don't have to go into it, but like, you know, even at Glassdoor where I was after that, it was, it was just such a lack of focus on like who is leading right now. And like the lower level, I felt like, you know, management was pretty disconnected from like what was actually happening among teams. And you were in which office? Did they have multiple offices? Uh, Glassdoor? Yeah. Yeah. I was here in Sausalito headquarters. Did, where um, they had another they one Chicago. at the time uh they had like some or, or small... were you working with jake dunlap because uh, i know he worked there at some point so 
Uh, I was after his time. Okay, got it. Um, but they were also in Sausalito. Uh, but they were in oh. a different office within Sausalito, and then they moved. And then while I was there, they opened UK and Chicago. Um, and that was another classic example of scaling, like, so fast for no reason at all, as if, like, the, as if reps weren't able to cover all of the demand. And then, you know, you don't back it up with, like, tools or training or ways to, like, make everyone better. You're just like, well, let's put more heads in seats. And, you know, we do the math, and the spreadsheet says we'll hit this, you know, That's amount. what they hired Jake for? Well, Jake was, like, at the, Jake was in the golden age of Glassdoor, you know, when there weren't so many reps, when, like, you know, every company's got like a golden age, right? Where if things were actually year, like, really good, things were great. And like there, yeah. you know, there was so much demand and not a bunch of people there. And you can like, find me a rep, find me a single rep in the world that says, you know, I've got too much interest. I can't manage it all. I need someone else to go close. Some of these find me one I in know, the world. I know there is no, it doesn't happen. The, doesn't you happen. know, I, I changed the way I led my team at, at my last company. Normally, you know, your managers will get, they'll get their sales target right from finance or their CEO and they'll add a 20% buffer and they'll divide it up and they'll, you know, there's everyone's quotas. Uh, I, I always did the exact opposite. I wanted to have a small elite team of only the best people. And I was very transparent with them that in order for us to hit the company target, everyone needs to hit 120% of their goal, but we're going to deliver the pipeline because we have the budget to, to do that. And so instead of me building in a 20% buffer for me and for the company, so the team hits 80% to goal, but really the company won, they hit 100. I right. did the opposite. I said, in order for the company to win, you need to hit 120% to goal, which means you're all going to be swimming in leads. You're going to be, you know, you're going you're gonna to be uh, riding the gravy train, so to speak, right. which is great for them. It's a great position to put them in but they know that they have to overperform. They know that the real company target, which we have up on a scoreboard, we know we need to hit it. It requires overperformance. And I think that's the right way to run a team because then you have a team that's consistently crushing their goals uh, and they're putting right. in the work. And to your point, like, you know, you don't need to work weekends to, to get that extra 20% as long as the pipeline's there. Like, you'll find the time. Right, and that was the thing. Like, Glassdoor had so many good people and it was just like, you could tell... It's just like what you said. I mean, any company, there's a classic graph, like reps winning, companies winning, reps winning, companies winning. All of a sudden, like reps start losing, company continues to win and like grow. Best quarter ever. But like, you know, 80% yeah. of reps missed. Like that doesn't make sense, you know? And, and, I, and the culture takes a huge dive. People start leaving. Everyone yeah. starts hating themselves. You're like, what happened to like, what happened to us, right? Yeah. And it's just such a classic Silicon Valley tale of we take investment, we make these promises. And as long as the company's winning, it's fine. We can, you know. It's the broken VC you know. model, man. The, the, there's so many things, you've probably heard me rant and post on this stuff a million times, but there's just so many things in that VC model that are so obviously broken and everyone just ignores it, right? Like the, the point of, of you just keep hiring people doesn't mean your revenue grows at the same rate. Right? right. There's eventually dilution that, that happens. There's diminishing returns at a certain point and companies just don't understand that. And you see it happen every single time they, they start out with, you know, five, 10 sales reps, then they go to 50, then they go to a hundred. And then at that point they're like opening up new offices. They're just going. And like now your reps are fighting over territories. They're, they're not their pipeline quality. It doesn't even compare to what right. it used to be. And then they wonder, why, while they're even raising quotas often, why no one can even hit their target. It's like, dude, like if, if I threw a hundred balls in, in a pool, right. And like, there's a hundred people there. And I say, each of you go get a ball. Like you can get a ball. But if I get 400 people and the same amount of balls are there, 
Right. How many are going to lose? Right. It's just base. It's so basic that like I explain it that way because it's like VCs are smart people. How do they not understand this simple concept? And then they end up burning so much fucking cash. And so it sounds like you've seen this happen uh, quite a lot, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it happens all the time. You know, it's funny because I like I'm, I'm maybe I'm jaded and I'm sarcastic and I'm dark like this, but I see companies like, whoa, we just raised our series day. Like, and all the reps are like posting about on LinkedIn. I'm like, yikes like better start looking for a job because once yeah, you guys start yeah. scaling in the next six months <laughs> you guys are all going to be wondering where your market like like where your pipeline went and why all of a sudden you're sending a thousand emails a week with you know targeted or uh, generic software why people aren't responding why they're starting to get frustrated with you sending these like 17 step blasts because you have no choice because you got to hit these numbers and all of a sudden the, the quality, like you said, just deteriorates and it's, yeah, there's a honeymoon phase after the round of funding, right? Everyone's excited. You throw a cool party. Uh, but then the reality of the, the, all of the over-promising that was done to get people to give you that money as a CEO, that reality starts to set in and decisions start to be made really quickly. And this is where things start to fall array because they're making decisions that will satisfy the investors until the next board meeting. Right. Even though most of them, I think, are actually smart enough to know that those decisions are actually not the right decisions long term, right? This is oftentimes why a lot of great VPs of sales get fired because they have to explain a bad quarter, which the, exa- which the explanation is actually, we probably hired too many reps uh, or quarantine fucking happened or we just simply yep. over forecasted like we always do. But instead, the CEO has to be able to tell a story. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we made a bad hire with the VP sales. We got this new woman coming in. She's going to be the best. And that's the story that carries them through to their next board meeting. And so that's how decisions start to, to get made, uh, you know, amongst the executive team and the board. And so you just kind of have this series of like bullshit decisions being made just to keep the board kind of like happy. And yeah. it's so weird that they're not smart enough to see through that and to call the bullshit. That's what I just don't get. I've sat in on board meetings and it's like, like, how do they not know that that's not the real answer? How do they not know? Like you look at, let's use an example, right? Like, let's say you look at the pipeline growth and from the marketing team of a company and the pipeline grew over 20% using all the same strategies that they used before. So it should be good pipeline, Right. Um, but the deals didn't close. Right. And now we're sitting here saying it's the sales leader's fault. Like, is that really true? Like, can that really be true? Or is maybe something wrong with the product is maybe your competitor, like getting better than you. Uh, like VCs just accept these bullshit answers. And anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on here, but, uh, uh, I'm giving you a little perspective of like what it looks like on the, on the, yeah. I mean, I think truthfully, like a lot of board boards do know. Like, I mean, you know, the VP of sales job is like a hard job, no matter how you slice yeah. it. It's, it's like a head, it's like a head coach, right? You're, you're eventually you will be fired. Like yes. you will be. And that's just kind of the nature of the game. Like you're in a leadership role, like you're the general. And at some point, like the powers that be are like, this has to be our fall person, you know? And it just is what it is. Um, I think boards do know that, but boards, you know, one of the easy things about being a board or a VC is you're disconnected from the people behind it. And that's like what makes it difficult. It's like, if you yeah. knew all those people in there personally, you're going to be like, shit, like this sucks. I know like we're about to ask 30 people, you know, 30% of people that I know and care about versus like this, like all I'm looking at in my, my business, this, this business that's supposed to make me a bunch of money. And if we have to ask 30%, I'm well, fuck, let's fucking do it. You yeah. know? So there's like yeah. the lack of human touch there is it makes it very easy to, you know, make those decisions, I think. 
Yeah. And they know it's, it's bullshit too. Cause multiple times I've seen in my career and my friends have seen it too. You get, you get fired. Right. And then, uh, <laughs> members from the board start reaching out to you. They want to hire you at another company that they're, that they're on the board for. And it's like, obviously I wasn't the problem, right? If now yeah. you're saying like, you want to hire me again. So right. Which is good like, though. I mean, that's good. It like, is I mean, a good they thing. Recognize yeah, it. Like, you know, it just it's shows how much of a joke it is. Right. I mean, it's just, it, there's just a lot of hypocrisy in it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's similar to NFL coaches, right? Like they get fired their boys over at this other team. They're like, hell yeah, bring them in. Like, yeah, yeah. it just, it, you know, it's kind of silly. It just, it just sucks when it's the reps, you know, like the younger folks out there that are like the stress falls in them, but like the, well, the it does, struggle falls right? on them. Because especially if they love their, their sales leader. And even if they don't like just having constantly new leaders coming in, is fucking awful. And, and it, it just stirs everything up. And like, you know, companies start to get momentum and, and things go well and everything gets shaked around. But anyhow, I think enough on that. I want to talk yeah. about you. You hate marketing, <laughs> right? Or, uh, or, or, that's and what maybe, I like to say. <laughs> and maybe we'll, maybe this is where we'll get into the differences between Ross and Corp. But like, uh, and maybe we should do that first. But like, because I want to understand this hate for marketing. And so maybe before we do that, let's, can we distinguish like the character corporate bro? How much of that is Ross and how much of that comes from somewhere else? Yeah. I mean, I think there's uh, corporate bro is probably 30% me. Um, you know, it's, what's the 30%? Like, like what are like some of the things that we see in these videos? That's like, just really you. I mean, honestly, it's just like the type of humor, <laughs> you know, the right. type of, you know, it, it's, it's shit that I would like to say, but don't say, um, it's, uh, it's fully knowing that like I'm a salesperson and I will always advocate for salespeople. Even if I know, you know, even if Ross knows it's not always right. And I feel like we've started to see some more of that right now because, um, you you used to keep your identity a secret, right? And, and, I don't know if we have, if we want to get into that, but, um, I imagine I mean, it yeah. was just like you were working at Oracle and like, they didn't want to be associated with, with corporate bro. Exactly. Uh, is that the gist of it? Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, you know, I, I, it was always very intentional about corporate bro and like, I didn't want Glassdoor or Oracle to be like, that's, they feel like corporate bro does. Like I know my character can be inflammatory and douchey and say ridiculous shit. Well, even if a lot of truth in, in probably an offensive, ways, but right? even if yeah. there's like truth veiled in there, I never wanted my brand to the corporate bro brand to be associated or blended with Glassdoor or Oracle, like out of respect for them. Like I appreciated yeah. them letting me do what I did. Did they um, make you sign stuff like legally? Glassdoor did. So the, the story about Glassdoor is like I was sneaking isn't the right word, but I was filming in the office on weekends. I didn't ask permission. I was like, mm-hmm. I work here. It's fine. Like I don't use any logos. I don't, tell people it's Glassdoor. I'm not making fun of anybody at Glassdoor, though I know deep down people were like, is that about, like, I started to realize people were like internalizing stuff. I would say like, is that me? Or is that about us? Is that, you know, it's no, it wasn't. It's like the game that we play. Yeah. Um, I got to walk around the park by HR kind of like, so what's this like a uh, corporate bro thing that you're doing? And, and was it, uh, and, and we're going to back up in a second too, because I want to get to like how you started making content, but yeah. uh, to, to close the loop on this story was, was it big yet when they, when they noticed it? Uh, you have a lot of followers? I think, I, I think if I remember correctly, I was somewhere around like 20,000. So it was significant. Yeah. It was enough that like, you know, everybody in the office was like following it, would be talking about it. And they were like, oh, you know, we didn't realize that like you have a creative process. This is like form. You're not just like some dickhead with a phone, like 
fuck my job. Like, whoa, you know. Well, that's what fascinated me. Like when we, when we spoke, I realized how strategic you were with it. Um, I mean, the production quality gives it away. Like you can tell this is not just like some asshole with a phone. But, uh, you know, when we first spoke, it was like, wow, like you, you really, there, there's a lot of thought that goes into this. And so. Yeah. And Glassdoor <laughs> was cool. Super grateful for it. But eventually it got too big. People were bringing mm-hmm. it up in job interviews. Like I hear Cobra Bro works here, blah, 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 stuff like that. And they're like, dude, we can't, we just can't anymore. You so know? you stopped or is that when you left Glassdoor? No, they kicked me out. Well, they didn't kick me out. I just got like a, a very aggressive email from legal. Like, dude, we're revoking your, your filming license, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, shit. So that's when I kind of became a nomad. I think I, I think that happened probably eight months before I ended up so, leaving. Oh, so they fired you? No, 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 no. I left. I eventually left. I was like, I'm, I wanted, I went to go start something. What was their uh, ask? Their ask was just that you had to stop filming? Oh, just you no longer have permission to film here. Period. I see. So you could keep filming, just not in the office. Correct. I can keep doing corporate row. I mean, the, the general okay, counsel guy okay. was super cool about it. He's like, dude, I don't care what the hell you do outside of work. Like, I will never fall you for doing that. We just can't have you doing it in the office. Like it's a liability. They don't want to be tied to it. Yeah. Like they get nothing out of it. Yeah. So it made sense. Yeah. It hurt, but it made sense. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's back up for a minute. We're going to definitely come back to your hate for marketing, but um, I want to back up. So you got into sales, you're at Oracle. Is this when you started? Like walk me through, how did you think about making this content? Like, did you do theater in high school? Like where the hell did this come from? And (laughs) Like, yeah, what, like, what, no, where, man, what I used to up theater nerds. No, I, <laughs> I actually, I mean, I, you know, I was always like the jock athlete guy. I was like, I'd never do theater. Like, in it's funny that like, I actually have that in my notes. I, I was, was writing notes about like, uh, what kind of, or I'm looking at it right now. What kind of kid were you popular jock? Did you do any acting in your youth? Cause I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I know he plays baseball. I know he works out and he's, he's a bit of a jock, but like, he's got acting chops. Like, where did that come from? So like I had to do, like I went to small schools for the most part growing up um, and we always had to do like a play and I was always in the play. Never Everyone had to be in the play? Everyone like had to be in it. It was like our classes were like a hundred people. So it was just this like- This is like a you, private school? Yeah. Well, it was like actually my public, I was in public school for when I was living in Georgia um, and we were doing like performances there, but I was never like a lead. I never want to sing. I never want to audition, but they'd right. give me like a really small, but like speaking role where I probably have like 10 lines and I like had a lot of fun with it, but I- no one ever pushed me towards like creative. Like I was just never pushed that way. I, you know, I would make home videos, which in hindsight were actually pretty good for like a 12 year old. Um, it wasn't until I was in college, I started acting for film students. I went to school in LA. Wait, like, so you were like, making home videos. What, like how old were you when you started doing that? I was like 12, like 10, 12, 14. Like it was fun. Like we had a ta- you know, camcorder, we'd rewind to shoot. A was scene it the one it. with the big video you had to put in it? Yeah, like a, yeah, like a yeah. tape thing yeah. that you had to put in. So we just rewind the tape to shoot another scene. There was no loading it in and editing it. It was just like I'd shoot it straight through um, and, and what rewind. Were you, and what were you filming? Dumb shit. We did like my, my family, like we did a family reunion and I made like a, a parody of James Bond. Like, All right, so you had shit. an interest in filmmaking since yeah. your youth. But I never, it was an, always an interest, but it was never yeah. like, a, I should go to film school. I should like push the creative yeah. stuff. It was always kind of like, you're going to be successful business person. Like you're going to be successful. And what that means is like, go into business, whatever the fuck that means. And like, that's just what I kind so of always little, thought I should be doing. I was just a little side baseball. hobby. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be in the major hobby. leagues, you know, <clears throat> even if like, I knew that that was an extreme long shot given, you know, the physical, physical makeup. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like the acting started kind of coming I I certainly to answer your question about who I was as a kid I was the funny guy of the group like that's where I fit in I would try to make up for my like lack of 
what perceived intelligence at school of being like the, the goofball, the guy who would do stuff that other people wouldn't would say stuff or be like as quick as I could on a response. That's where I like brought value in the friend group. So got it. All right. So, so now you're working in sales. You you've done a little bit of filmmaking as a kid. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a hobby. I imagine like, tell me, I'm going to try to walk through your, your mind here. Yeah. So you're this guy, you're working in this place, you're observing a lot of like douchey, broy, funny behaviors oh, yeah. that you probably joke around a lot about, at, at least in your head, maybe out loud, and you somehow get inspired to, to create content around this. Is, is that, like, how did that happen? Literally what, what, that. What? I mean, I'm at Oracle. I'm at Oracle, I'm looking around, I'm like, holy shit, like, everybody here is just a corporate bro. I remember like exactly where I was standing. I was talking to my buddy who, you know, has in many of the videos. And then I just decided, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start like documenting this. I'm gonna start making Vine videos, six second videos, low production quality, super easy to do. Just like the dumb shit that happens from like, you know, leaning back too far in a chair, like falling off, thinking you're going to fall off that split second where you think you're going to die. Or like we had wired headsets. Like we forget they're on. People would be like, let's go to lunch. You'd stand up and then you choke yourself out. So it all started with Vine. I'll start with Vine. Six second videos, people in the office, my team started liking them. You know, I was sneaking around a little bit to get those done, but filming for six seconds isn't that much time. It wasn't like, you know, full, like full time trying to make films at Oracle. Like I, yeah. I did very well at Oracle. And, um, and uh, so did you get a lot of followers on, on Vine? Is that where it Yeah, got it got to like 10,000 or something, but like I could tell Vine was kind of sunsetting. The engagement was disappearing. Working professionals were not really on Vine, like the people that I was trying to target. Right. So I could tell Vine was, you know, they announced Vine was going to go away. I took the videos and put them on Instagram just because I didn't want to lose them. And around 2016, so like two and a half years later, three years later, I got an article written by uh, Total Frat Move and Bro Bible, both of which actually had audiences back then. Like they're, they're shit, you know, it is, it was shit, but like it was a a thing. It was kind of like Barstool before Barstool got big. Um, So it blew up my Instagram from like, 500 people to 10,000. So for the first time, that was when I was like, oh shit, people are resonating with this and think it's funny that don't know Ross. It was always like, I always assumed it's funny because it's Ross. Like I'm the funny guy in my group. They have context, but now it's funny to people who don't know me. Yeah. So that's when I got serious. Yeah. They know the character. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's when you got serious. Is that when you started making longer videos and having characters and things? Yeah. I mean, like I just, I kind of scaled with the platform, you know, Instagram, at one point was like only 15 second videos. So I was like, Oh shit, six to 15. I'm like, now I can put two jokes in there instead of just like one. And then it went from 15 seconds to one minute. And it was kind of like, you know, you evolve with the audience and the platform. People would watch the 15 second videos. Then you went to one minute. If I posted like a 45 second video, I'd get less engagement. It's like, damn, people aren't used to watching 45 seconds on Instagram, but now people watch a ton of video on Instagram. Now there's IGTV up to 60 minutes. Like, so you slowly start to adapt. And it started becoming the opportunity to like build characters and storylines and, you know, loosely speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're really good at it. So did you have someone guiding you along the way, showing you how to, how to do any of that, how to edit video, how to like, how to build characters, how to shoot scenes? Or <laughs> no, I mean, my dad's a writer, um, but he was, my dad is a, like a nonfiction. He was a sports journalist or was still is. Um, and so I had like the writing gene as it was, it was, I taught myself how to edit like, you know, YouTube, man, just watching YouTube videos, how to do this, how to do that. I eventually I was using iMovie. Actually I was using an app on my phone to edit it first. 
Then I went to iMovie, kind of maxed out iMovie. It was like, I want to do this and this. I can't do it. Got Final Cut Pro. I'm still using Final Cut and Adobe Premiere. Uh, there's like stuff like After Effects. You know, now I have like a couple guys who, uh, with the unsubscribe show, which we can, we can talk about some other time, but, or later, but I have editors doing that. My skits that you see on Instagram are edited by me. And that's just kind of like, you know, the timing, like if you have the comedic timing down and know how you want stuff to hit, there's so many hilarious things you can do with editing. Editing can make things so much funnier. So I just yeah, kind of self-taught. I know nothing about it, right? As I told you when we started this, I'm like, I'm trying to shoot this podcast like unedited because it just seems easier. But uh, I, I mean, you're right. When, when you, like, I love watching YouTube content and when it's well edited, it's, it's a hell of a lot more entertaining and you're more likely to watch the whole thing. Right. Um, all right. So <clears throat> now you're at kind of this, this, uh, this crossroads where you're in sales. You're doing pretty well at sales, not a top rep, but you're, you're, you're doing well. It sounds like you liked it. You enjoyed it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not getting fired. Like I'm doing well. I'm hitting quota. You know, I I have a a miss here and there, but like, but now you've got this other hobby, uh, that's taking off, it's getting traction and there's potential to do something with it. So, you know, where, where's your head at? Are you thinking like, I want to find a way to make content full time and I want to make a living off of that. Or are you thinking I want to stay in sales? Uh, and so, yeah, you said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the goal was always like, how can I make this as big as possible? How can I like, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we just want to do what we want to do. And like, that's what I wanted to do. Like when I was bored, I would start writing when I was like, you know, airplanes, like I'd start writing, like I'm in my car, something pops in my head. I just write it out on like a notepad. And so so, dream, dream life for you is you're not selling anything. You're creating content. Correct. I'm creating content. I'm, I would love to be in TV. Like that's what I would love to do. I would love to like, truthfully not be corporate bro one day. I like and to this be Ross. All, but I'd this like all came about through the organic creation of Corporate Bro. Like you weren't, you didn't have these dreams as a kid. No, no. I mean, I guess if you said like, you know, kid, do you want to be a movie star? I'd be like, yeah, that'd be tight. Like, but I was not like working towards it, so to right, speak. Right. It just became a possibility. And then I realized like, that's what my heart wanted to do. I wanted to do what I was interested in, which is like make people right. laugh and write funny things and keep people engaged. Like that's fun to me. So, so why go put in the time to get your master's if you want to start creating? Is, is, was that the intention of, of it helping you build, grow the, the, the content creation career? Or? Yeah, that's a very good question. So I had applied to Second City. Um, Second City is like the OG of comedy like training. They have one in LA. The main one is in Chicago. I mean, you're talking like Tina Fey, Steve Carell, like all the OGs um, went through Second City training it's not as like prestigious anymore. It's not as like big of a deal. Uh, they kind of like, you know, it's, you don't need it anymore because there's social media. You can build your own stuff. You don't have to go through second city to be like successful in comedy anymore, but that's where I was going to go until I got into Stanford. And it's really hard to turn down, you know, an MBA from Stanford, which part of it for me was like, I need to legitimize Ross and corporate bro at the same time. Like too many people are not valuing it in the way I want it to be valued where it's like, Oh, this is this fun, like goofy, worthless, like worthless, but fun, entertaining thing. And I was sick of being like the goofball or like I said, not being taken seriously, intellectually speaking. So it was like, you know, second city would raise my ceiling a little bit, but Stanford would raise my floor a lot, like a lot. And so if the comedy thing doesn't work out, I have a, I have a Stanford MBA, like I'm getting a job. So it, it mitigated a lot of risk. Plus I knew like 
a lot of people who go get their MBAs, they go work at Hulu, they go work at, you know, Netflix, they go work at HBO. And while they're not doing creative stuff, like I can at least get insight there. I can get introductions. The network is huge. So I have to be a little bit more deliberate. I have to be a little bit more creative in terms of getting to the people I want because they're not really going to business school in the world yeah. that I'm trying to be in. But at the same time, like best experience of my life. Like I was around the smartest people in the world from all over the world. You know, I have friends now in most countries if I were to ever go, you know, and it was just like being pushed and biggest thing for me was like proving I could hang with these people, all of whom are like quants, just like managed hundreds of people, like done startups, already had exits, things like that. And my value was I was the only sales guy. I was the only sales guy in this school. So everyone you know, Stanford, my year comes to me for sales advice. They come to me for like sales consulting. How do I lead a freaking qualification call? How do I do a cold call? Like to network 10X. 10X, it did. I mean, 100X. And at the same time, like, you know, the creative thing is still what I want to push, but I am now kind of balancing this. Like I'm doing advisor work, I'm doing consulting work, but I'm also very much like full time on, on corporate bro making content. Got it. So if you mentioned, if you had to go get a job, you'd have a, you'd have a Stanford MBA. So if you, if you did have to go get a job, um, are you going back into sales or are you trying to get a job in, in, uh, sort of the, the creation world? Like you mentioned Hulu. I mean, it's, I mean, if I had to go back in the corporate world and Netflix was like, we need a writer for this show in the writer's room. Like I would do that instantly. Got if it. we took creative off the table, I would go back and either do strategy or try to do corporate strategy. Um, or I would go run a sales team because I enjoy, I enjoy that. I'm a much better motivator and teacher than I am. Like, I'm not going to go back and be an enterprise rep somewhere. That's the just days, not going to happen. The days of Ross cold calling. They're done. Behind you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still kind of cold call people like in the creative world, but yeah, the days of trying to sell someone on a cold call. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's more just like, I just want to talk to you, please. Can I, can I please just buy you something and give me 15 minutes? I want to learn. You know, people are more receptive to that than like, yeah, <laughs> me trying to sell them something. So, uh, so what's next, right? I know you 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 launched this series called Unsubscribe. Uh, you had you had filmed the pilot episode of a show. Um, how yep. did that go? I loved it. Um, is it? Are, are is there more work to come on that? Or yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that was what was so hard. It was like, so I said, if I'm going to Stanford and not Second City, I'm going to do a pilot. I'm going to with two years. Like that is my goal, obviously graduate, but like my goal is to do this pilot. Um, and by and the way, where can people watch that for those who are listening? YouTube, just YouTube corporate bro pilot. You can find it on there. You know, I wish I could do it over again. You know, I self financed it with this, the money I had made from corporate bro to that point. Plus like a Kickstarter. Um, how much did it cost? It cost almost 50 grand, which is considered ultra low budget. Ultra, ultra low budget. But it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a shitload of money. It's yeah. just like, so that's needless to say why you haven't seen other episodes since. Um, now, the reception was really solid. Um, a lot of things I wish I could change. I think I wish I, when you don't have that much money, you can't get all the people you want to get. You can't do all the things you want to do. And so you have to just like make it work. Like I had friends who were acting in it. I had legitimate porn stars who were acting in it. $100 a day trying to get in legit acting, legit, you know, we don't have to go into that, but you know, and then I had a couple guys who are really, really strong, really like legit actors. Yeah. I forget um, the guy's name, but I, I started following, uh, who's the comedian. I think John O. Wilson. Yeah. He's the guy who yeah. plays Travis in there. There's guys, he's one of the, he's great, really solid dude, smart dude, 
brilliant at improv. Like that's what I wish I could fill the whole thing with, but I couldn't. Right, anyway, right. shelter in place happens. I had all these meetings set up in LA. Um, nothing like, I wasn't like pitching Netflix or anything, but I had all these meetings that were like, kind of lead to hopefully other meetings, potentially getting an agent, stuff like that. They all fell through, right? It was the first week of quarantine. You know, I was like, fuck it. I want people to see this. I know people are at home. Life I remember that. Right now. Yeah, I remember we were texting then. You were, I, I think like a little bit upset because you had these plans for a big sort of launch night. And, uh, I did. And it got all fucked up because of COVID. Yeah, and I, you know, it was still great. It still had like 3,000 people at once watch it on like That's YouTube awesome. premiere, which is really cool. Um, again, a lot of things I wish I could change some of the writing and stuff. Now that being said, where's it going? I'm still writing pilot aside in the same vein. I'm writing an eight episode season of what Corbett bro, the sitcom would look like. Not okay, so using... that's not dead. You're still working. Oh, I'm on still that. working on it. And I'm going to find a way like I'm going to make it. It may take me a couple of years because I got to make enough money to like figure out how I can actually get it shot and get the things I want. Or it may take, you know, I'll either do it myself. I will find someone who can help me do it or like, uh, like a hybrid of the two, which will undoubtedly probably be that. Uh, it will get made. It's just a matter of when I can get the budget, like time, budget, and people, like get more than four people in a room, you yeah. know, when quarantine's over, hopefully. Let me ask you kind of the, the magical question here. <clears throat> how, do, how are you making money right now? Yeah. So what I'm doing... I've, I've been so deliberate about not doing ads on corporate bro, which is so funny. Cause it's like, I, I did like, I had like a partnership with dial pad where I did four videos for them, which were yeah. great. They were so cool about it. They were like, yo, feature our product in there somewhere like product placement. Don't like make an ad for us. Just do your normal thing, full creative control, say whatever you want. And yeah. we'll pay you for that. It's an integrated ad. Yeah. And I remember we talked about that. I told you, I think you got way underpaid. I felt like that should have been worth but I don't so know much what more I, money. Like, you know, <laughs> that's the hard part. It's like, what do you, what am I worth? And I don't know what that is. So the way I make money now is I do zoom, like we'll call them performances. It's kind of like stand up, or, mm. or I'll go in, I'll either give like a funny motivational speech to a sales team or for an SKO, whatever it is, or I'll do like a roast. I'll do custom roasts for like sales leaders or like a list of quota hitters or like whoever you want. Like I'll do that. And I kind of tier the pricing based off of how many people is it going to be in front of, you know, is it, um, how long, you know, anywhere between five minutes to 20 minutes. Um, and that type of thing. So that's one way. The other way is I do cameos, the cameo videos, 30 second, one minute, kind of like shout out my friends type thing. Yeah. I bought one. They're great. They're so yeah. great. They're, they're awesome. Like talk about a brilliant company. Like that company is genius. genius. Yeah. And then I do consulting stuff now. So I'm working with bravado and I'm doing the unsubscribe show. So they are paying me from a MBA standpoint of like, you know, kind of product strategy, little marketing strategy, how do you talk to salespeople and then the creative side of producing this show <laughs> alongside them? Got it. Which is so, amazing. yeah. Uh, and, and I love watching it too. And I think that like this short form episode type content is going to become more and more common. So it's pretty cool that you're like an early adopter to that. Um, <clears throat> so obviously we know if, if the, if the pilot, you know, that series takes off, we know how you make money with that. You try to sell it to Netflix or, or whatever. Right. Um, what's the, what's the, like the best case scenario for the unsubscribe show? Is this just to get, you want to get a lot of YouTube views and you monetize through, through that or what's, yeah, what, you know, what's the goal? It, the goal right now is just make stuff, like try new stuff out. Like, you know, I, I would, another dream is like, I'd love to be Colbert. I'd love to be like Jimmy Kimmel. I would love to be a late night show host. So you're um, trying to show different things that you can do basically. Exactly. And it's quarantine. Yeah. Like you can't like Hollywood shut down. Like they're not doing shit. 
everyone's freaking out in Hollywood. And you're making you're high like, production right. video content. And we're finding a way. Yeah. So like, you know, hopefully that stands out at some point, but it's just, it, it's a great way to diversify like what I'm doing from the short form. I know it's like hard to get people to go spend even 10 minutes to go watch, you know, one of my episodes, which is like, God damn it. Like really? Like everyone's like, make more content, make more content. And I make it and they don't go watch it. It's like, okay, great. How do I win? But I don't, do you, you know, monetize YouTube really. I have like, I put oh, you don't ads at all. So when I put a video out, I don't for like a week and then I turn it on later. Like after the people, I want people to go there and just watch it, enjoy it and like say, this is worth me yeah. watching. Um, so you have how many followers on or subscribers on YouTube? God, I don't know, 12, 13,000, something like that. 13K. Yeah. Um, and you've got a ton of content on there. So when you turn on like, like how much money can, can you make with uh, like none, like none, honestly, very, none. you need millions, right? Of, you of need millions. Like yeah. you are not like, it's like the 1% of the 1% are making a killing on YouTube. The rest of the people are like making their video. You're not making, you're not making a bunch of money off YouTube ads. You're making money off of brand placement inside those videos. You're making money on like the side deal partnerships. So the only people who are making money off those ads are the Logan Pauls of the world where there's just millions and millions yeah. of, of views and subscribers. Yeah. I can't remember. It was something like, you know, like a, a million views was somewhere around like 800 bucks. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's not like that is, you're not living off of that. No, no. You know? So like, that is not something I even count as like a revenue stream, even though like it might be like 50 bucks a month or something. I don't know. Maybe probably less. I haven't really looked at it. It sounds like the immediate best income strategy for you is, is more of those, uh, dial pad type product placements because it doesn't hurt your content, right? Because it's just in the background. It actually made it really funny when you used their product. Like I remember you pulling out like the voicemail transcript yeah, and like, right. like it was really funny. It worked well. It didn't like it was to me, it was obvious you were getting paid for it, but it made it still the content was awesome. Um, so and that's the hard there, balance too. Yeah. Do they have like you to don't want to be a sellout. Freedom? Yeah. yeah, they got to give me creative. Freedom. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've done a few where they're like pretty difficult. Like you can't say this, you can't do that. And like the stress of, I already want to put out a video a week just for people, just cause I feel obligated. Like I want to make content for the world. But when people start, you know, companies start being like, yeah, redo this. We want to do this again. And I start like me and like my friends, like we're spending so much time on this one video that already isn't as funny as it should be because we're not being allowed. It's yeah, not allowed yeah. to be funny. Then we're wasting time on that because we're not making other content that people would actually like, you know? So I very, that's why I rarely do those. Like, you would know, you, I, are you accepting new sponsors today? If they, if they gave you full creative freedom, is that something that you are pushing? It depends on the product really. And it depends on kind of the setup. Like, you know, I would rather really people well. sponsor the sitcom. Like, frankly, I'd rather people like put money, corporate sponsorships towards getting that made. Cause the world, it, it would, then it's a win-win for everyone. Like I, it's hard. Like I don't really want to monetize fans, yeah. so to speak it's hard. Like I already feel weird being like, go buy merch. I already feel like weird doing that, even though it's just like 20 bucks you can afford, you can afford a mug or shirt or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I need to get a shirt. I want one. Uh, I'll send you one. I just like, no, I no, want I'll it behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually wanted to order one so I could have worn it today, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I, you know, again, like it's support, whatever support people are willing to give, like, even if it's just going to like the fucking video, like double tap the thumb thing, like, great. I can live with that. I'll figure it out eventually. I just don't is want there, to be super intrusive. No, I, I feel you. It's, it's a balancing act, I think. Uh, but you shouldn't feel bad asking for, for money because you're, you're creating something. There's a lot of value 
uh, in what you're putting out there and we all love it. We all enjoy it and we, we take it for free and we don't feel bad taking it. So, uh, you know, su- support the cause for those who are listening. Like, please, if you're, if you're consuming free content, uh, you know, eventually if there's a way that you can support that person, please do it. Anyway, a couple more questions for you. I got a fun question for you. So, uh, for our, I forget, do you have a blue check mark on Instagram? I don't. It's because it's not a real person, right? So they say, or I don't have enough like legitimate (laughs) press articles or people aren't impersonating me enough. So if you're out there, go impersonate me so that I can report your account and get it taken down so that they can look like people are trying to be me. I don't know, man. It's so arbitrary. It's just, it's very frustrating. I don't, we we got to get, yeah, we got to get you that blue check mark. Are you a, are you a single guy, Ross? Uh, I'm not. Oh, you're not. not. Okay. I'm not. My next question was going to be, have you been uh, taken uh, through the whole uh, corporate bro upcoming or was there once a single corporate bro? There was once there was once. Yeah. Are there like, what's the groupies for corporate bro look like? Were, were, were people sliding into your DMS? Was, uh, was, yeah. the, was the clout that strong? Uh, for dudes. Yeah. A lot of dudes want to hang out and <laughs> drink a beer. A lot of dudes want to drink a beer. Um, no, not really. And like, no. you know, when it, when it's there, it's super flattering. Um, you know, I typically play the character on, uh, the character is very much single. Um, but, you know, and I play the character, but at the same time, like, not really. Like, I wish. You so know? you haven't, you haven't like gone out with anyone that you met through uh, a corporate bro groupie DM slide? No, no, not yet. You know, maybe when, maybe if it all collapses on me, if my world collapses, then, uh, then maybe, but you never, I don't know. I don't want to get, I don't want to get murdered. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. One day. Cool. Cool. Um, what's, what, like, What's your, well, how would you rank your level of fame? Like, are you recognized in the streets of California? Do people ever stop you? And they're like, yo, Corp. Yeah. Yeah. It's happened. It's happened a lot of places. It happens. I mean, obviously in San Francisco a lot, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I've had it like, I had it in South America. I had it in really? Brazil and Argentina and wow. you know, a lot of places here in New York, Arizona, Chicago, like it's, it's a thing now. There's a lot of salespeople out there and it's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's cool. It's weird. Um, it's still flattering, but at the same, you know, thank God for mask culture now. So I can go back into the Marina in San Francisco and it's fine. And nobody knows it's me. Um, is it like, is it to the point that it's annoying that you're like, it's too much. Are you at like Justin Bieber level now where you're like yelling at paparazzi? Leave me no, alone. but it is that awkward point where it's like, it'd be one thing if I was Justin Bieber and I was like a, you know, multimillionaire and it's like, that's part of the territory, but I'm not like, I'm just a dude. Um, yes, yeah, so you're not getting entourage. the perks, right? Yeah, you're I don't not have the perks of yeah, like, but you yeah. sit there and you're like, someone, someone says something to you, and you also know that like, there's a bunch of people who don't say something to you that are like, creeping from like at the corner of their eyes, like just like, what's he doing over there? And then they're mustering up the courage, and I'm like, what was I doing for the last 15 minutes? Was I looking like a dumbass? Like, yeah, was like, what was I doing while they were all trying to stare and be like, is this him? Like, I see people like showing phones to each other, and I'm like, God damn it, they know, That's they know, funny. okay. So I'll like, when I go out, I'll like sit and face away from the door or I'll face like different directions so that I'm least visible. Got it. So I got, I've got two more questions to, to kind of close the loop on, <clears throat> on everything. How big do you think that this can grow? Like how big is this sales community? Are other people like in the audience, you know, are you, are you getting people from other departments of startups that find it funny? I think you're at like what 175 or what something yeah. thousand followers. Like, mm-hmm. does this become something that's millions of followers? What are your thoughts on the, the the reach it could have? 
it has the capacity to absolutely. I mean, it's not just salespeople. You get marketing people. If you work in a tech, if you work in tech, like you should yeah. get it because you know your sales team, you know your marketing team, like, you know, sales like ops and like anybody who interfaces with sales, like should get what I'm doing here. You know, admittedly, like a lot of people think it is niche. Uh, and it is in a lot of ways, but I also think the world knows what salespeople are. Like, that's why I think a TV show would make so much sense is like, salespeople are ridiculous and why would the rest of the world not be interested in these like ridiculous people? So I'm starting to make broader content. Like you saw the Peloton video, like I'm starting to try and broaden a little bit to try and bring more people in just to see the sketches. Cause I think there's a lot of immediate turnoff where it's like, Oh, this is just like sales humor. It's like, it is, it's humor with a sales slant is what I like to think about it as. So, you know, I think we're kind of just scratching the surface. One of the issues is like, I don't have a lot of visibility. I don't have like, you know, people shouting about it. I haven't had like the, the, the big viral video yet. I haven't had like something go millions and millions of views Yeah. Um, for like a variety of reasons. But I, I think we're kind of just going to, I could see this in like, you know, a couple million, like if we're talking about follower count, just yeah, in the I'm world just curious of like how much tech. is, how much is out there. Cause I'll be honest, like I, I was surprised that it like, isn't over millions by now. Um, like, do you, do you track how, how fast the followers are growing? Do you track if you lose followers, gain followers, things like that? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, one of the things that I learned was being a private account actually made me grow a lot faster because, so it's one of those things where I have like really high engagement, like for any, by any standard, by any metric. The it's people really who high love engagement. it are all in. Yeah. They're all in, but the barrier to entry is a little bit higher. I think with, with my humor, I think you need to watch a few videos. I think once you're bought in and you're like, you're in on the joke, like you love it and it's great, but it's not like TikTok. It's not like stupid. Sorry, people who love TikTok. It's not just like stupid, like, um, what do you call it? Like it's in your face, tactless. Like I want mine to be smarter. I don't want just like, Oh, someone tripping down the stairs. Like, Oh, or, you know, someone like dancing, you know, like an idiot, like, the, the virality of those things is so much higher because you don't have to have be in on the joke. It just I'm, is. It's slapstick. It's like, it's cheap. Do you think that there are, that it's hard to acquire um, a female audience because of what it's called corporate bro? Like before they yeah. know what it is, do they just hear that? Do they, are they put off by it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a pro I think, culture and you know, yeah, it's, totally. it's all frowned on. Yeah. Well, I think that's also hurt me from like a branding, like, you know, corporate like sponsorship standpoint. I think, a lot of people, especially now and how polarized our country is on social issues and stuff like that. If you had told me eight years ago, bro would be synonymous with like rape culture and like misogyny, I know, I know. like you never would I would have been like, what? Everyone says bro. Like I know like a lot of my, you know, female friends are like, bro, they say bro. And it's like on the surface, people see like corporate bro and it's like, oh God, like, oh God, like please. Like yep. it, they don't get that it's satire. They don't get like the whole point is like we're trying to like make fun of this and call it out. Um so I've thought about changing the name a bunch of times. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, and what I would do, that's why I'm slowly crossing over Ross and corporate bro. I still yep, love yep. the nickname corp. A lot of people call me corp. I prefer yeah, it. I've noticed I was going to comment on that earlier. Like when I, when I mentioned that, uh, that you used to keep your identity a secret. Um, now you're not right. You, yeah. You've, you've, you've pulled down the curtain. Your public LinkedIn is, is now very clear who you are. I remember when I first started watching your videos, I tried to figure out who you were and, I eventually found it, but it wasn't easy. It was, it was pretty well hidden, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a, it's a smart move now because you're, and, and now, um, you know, seeing the types of things that you post it, it, I think uh, this is why I was going to mention it before. I think it, 
it does show people that you are not just a goof, right? And, and that you actually are a smart guy because you're, you're posting real content, not just like satire comedy. Now you're writing real posts on LinkedIn. Right. And I mean, that was like kind of the, that's all been kind of part of the strategy is like, I changed the name. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, slowly people will start to see it. They'll start to like figure it out. They'll start to, you know, start cross-referencing. And the, the one thing I was battling was, it was like, if I push Ross and Corporate Bro together, does Ross get stupider and goofier or does Corporate Bro get smarter and more like elevated in terms of like sales knowledge, like general intelligence and knowledge? And I so think it's, it's the latter, particularly yeah. like after having you on this show and, and people are going to hear this. And, and uh, I think this will be probably, is this the first time like, the, the public is going to like really meet Ross? Yeah. I mean like in any meaningful way, probably. Um, in, like, I know in, a, like, in a strategic way. I mean, in yeah. A, yeah, like uh, I think so. Um, I have, this is the first time I've been like introduced me with my name. Yeah. You know, I've had people say Ross, like, you know, some people call him Ross, but they don't like, we don't like discuss kind of the overlap between the two. It's always yeah. just like strictly talk about creative process and like the character and, and humor and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, I mean, like this is this is part of the strategic plan of like blending the two for sure. Smart stuff, man. Um, all right, why do you hate marketing, or, or do you really hate marketing? Uh, is part of that just the shtick? Like, does Ross actually have bad relationships with all of his marketing teams that that, have, that, that he's worked with? No, I don't hate marketing. Um, you know, I. Is it just really fucking funny? Because it is. It is. Yeah, it is. And, and marketing is a stereotype in so many ways. And it's just like sales is. Like, Honestly, you know, like you made the stereotype. Like it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like Those are your best videos in my opinion. If anyone has not, if whoever's listening, if you have not watched this stuff, like you have to watch it. Even if you're in marketing, if you can't take a joke, like sorry, it's too fucking good. Yeah, I mean like I just, what I know I'm good at is like, finding the small human truths in a lot of the things that we do. And like the only reason it works is because it's true. Like the things I say are pretty true. And yes, I embellish them and blow them up in like a bigger way to make it like, yeah, I mean, what's the thing outrageous. they do where they're like walking like this? Yeah. The, the little marketing jaunts. Like, <laughs> like, like, they're like there is a look. Marketing. Yeah. The patty cake. Like a little patty so cake. Like, I mean, so I literally good. walked into a marketing floor and a bunch of people were foam rolling. Like it was like two in the afternoon. Like literally they were foam rolling. They were like, know, it was like a stretching session. Like, come uh, on, I've had, I've, yeah, I've seen them with like neck massagers on their desk. I see them like, you know, like cuddled up on the couch with their laptop, clearly fucking doing nothing for. Yeah. Second. And I mean like, I'm an angry jaded sales guy. And like, yeah. let, let's be clear, like a good, there is nothing better than, than like a good marketing team lead gen, like good lead gen, like as a sales person. It is like, super, there, there is super, super critical. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. But so I'm glad to hear you say that. That's why I asked by the way, cause yeah, the accountability is what you that's said. my issue. We get dominated. We're on the front lines taking grenades. And if like they miss like pipeline targets, like, they don't give a shit. They're not being comped. Like maybe the VP of marketing is, but like your marketing associates, the people writing the blog posts and all that stuff. Like they're not totally tied to revenue. Most of them, most of yeah. the time, some are. I, I was actually asked yesterday by someone if I'll take part in a debate uh, on this exact topic of should marketing be tied directly to revenue? And my answer is uh, unequivocally, yes. There's yeah. no question about yeah. it. Yeah. If they're going to be I've part of like in a room CROs, where... if they fall under CRO, they should. Yeah, I don't care where I don't care where they fall under. Uh, they should be tied to revenue. I've literally been in Monday morning stand-up rallies where uh, we missed our quarterly target, and marketing's at 150 percent of their bullshit metric that 
you know, they're all celebrating like it's the best quarter ever. And like the rest of the company is hurting. Investors are hurting. Like we failed, you know? Um, and in that particular scenario, we did make some changes. I, I was advocating for everything just gets switched over to a revenue number, but instead of them being comped on MQLs, marketing qualified leads, we at least got it switched to sales qualified leads. So they couldn't just generate shit anymore. Right. Um, That's one of the issues I always ran into. Yeah. It's like, give us credit for this one. It's like you, they downloaded an ebook two years ago, someone That's in that not, company. Yeah, like, and I closed on. somebody different to like today. Like this has nothing to do with MQL or like marketing having done that. MQL like, is I, just junk. It's junk. Unless a salesperson speaks to someone and says there's, there's teeth on this uh, and they qualify it, then no one should be paid for anything, I believe. Um, right. All right. We're, we're running up on time here, but yeah. um, what, uh, where, where can people follow you? What should they follow? Should they subscribe to the show? What do you want to plug? Take it yeah. Away. I mean, I don't know. You know, you'll find my content. All the sketches will be on Instagram at corporate bro, corporate.bro. To be clear, I don't think there's any other ones out there. So you shouldn't have a trouble figuring that out. LinkedIn. I love trolling LinkedIn. Um, you know, there's so much bullshit on LinkedIn. It's really fun to call it out. Um, same name there, or you can find my real name, Ross Pomerantz on LinkedIn and then YouTube, like go watch the unsubscribe show. It's different. It's got, it's the first time we've really specifically tried to blend a little bit of teaching and value with just like general outrageous comedy. So we're only doing six episodes for now. Uh, we just finished wrapping episode five, episode four just came out, but we just finished shooting episode five, episode six will be, um, we're in the process of writing that now. So Find it anywhere, really. Google it. Awesome, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for, for coming on. I hope the audience enjoyed it. Um, definitely go check Ross out anywhere you can. Check Corporate Bro out. Thanks, Ross. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Take care, man. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye. Bye.